Welcome to The Daily Bite with your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today we read from Isaiah 57. The righteous man perishes and no one lays it to heart. Devout men are taken away while no one understands. For the righteous man is taken away from calamity. He enters into peace. They rest in their beds who walk in their uprightness. But you draw near, sons of the sorcerers, offspring of the adulterer and the loose woman. Whom are you mocking? Against whom do you open your mouth wide and stick out your tongue? Are you not children of transgression, the offspring of deceit, you who burn with lust among the oaks, under every green tree, who slaughter your children in the valleys under the clefts of the rocks? Among the smooth stones of the valley is your portion. They, they are your lot. To them you have poured out a drink offering. You have brought a grain offering. Shall I relent for these things? On a high and lofty mountain you have set your bed, and there you went up to offer sacrifice. Behind the door and the doorpost you have set up your memorial. For deserting me you have uncovered your bed, you have gone up to it, you have made it wide, and you have made a covenant for yourself with them. You have loved their bed, you have looked on nakedness, you journeyed to the king with oil and multiplied your perfumes, you sent your envoys far off and sent down even to Sheol. You were wearied with the length of your way, but you did not say it is hopeless. You found new life for your strength, and so you were not faint. Whom did you dread and fear so that you lied and did not remember me, did not lay it to heart? Have I not held my peace even for a long time, and you do not fear me? I will declare your righteousness and your deeds, but they will not profit you. When you cry out, let your collection of idols deliver you. The wind will carry them all off. A breath will take them away. But he who takes refuge in me shall possess the land and shall inherit my holy mountain. And it shall be said, Build up, build up, prepare the way, remove every obstruction from my people's way. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high place and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly, and to revive the heart of the contrite. For I will not contend forever, nor will I always be angry. For the spirit would grow faint before me in the breath of life that I made. Because of the iniquity of his unjust gain, I was angry. I struck him, I hid my face, and was angry, but he went on backsliding in the way of his own heart. I have seen his ways, but I will heal him, I will lead him, and restore comfort to him and his mourners, creating the fruit of the lips. Peace, peace to the far and to the near, says Yahweh, and I will heal him. But the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, and its waters toss up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God for the wicked. As we look at our text here today, verses 1 and 2 go together. Verses 3 through 13 are a, a section of rebuke. So we'll look at verses 1 and 2 just briefly here. Both the righteous and the devout man are in mind. These are the people that would be faithful to the Lord. They die or they are taken away. God removes them from the land. And it's like no one notices. Historically, there certainly is some truth to this, not just in the case of Israel, but 
This is the wickedness of our sin. We make heroes out of some of the worst people. We idolize, for example, today, celebrities, the rich and the famous, uh, athletes, those kinds of things. But the people who are, are the most faithful, most people don't even recognize that those people are here, that they live, that they exist, let alone when they then die, are they missed. But if you have a superstar who dies suddenly, the whole world seems to grieve. That's the kind of thing that we're seeing today that matches what was there at that time as well. So a historical truth throughout creation is our sinful nature that brings us about. But no more verse 1 is true than in Jesus himself. The righteous man perishes and no one lays it to heart. As Jesus died on the cross and the world mocked him in that moment. Verses 1 and 2 give us really the idea here that, that God is almost removing the righteous people from creation. In a sense, he's taking them. He is bringing about their death in order to spare them from continued suffering in this world, in this present evil age. Verses 3 through 13 is a rebuke of faithlessness. And that's what all of this, all of this is a reference to faithlessness. Now, you could take this one of two ways, and maybe both are appropriate. This could be general idolatry. Again, the, the Bible frequently uses marital faithfulness, sexual imagery, adultery imagery, when it comes to, to the idea of sin and rebellion against God. So this could be generic idolatry of Israel. Or it could actually be more specifically pointed to the idea of the, the fertility cults that existed in that time. We don't, living in America in the 21st century, we don't really think about fertility cults, but these were a common practice in many different parts of the history of the world. And it could be still in some parts of the world today, and I'm just not, not as aware of it. So a fertility cult was essentially the idea, the common idea, that we had to appease the gods sexually um, in order that they would provide and care for the world. And this took all kinds of different forms. Temple prostitution is, is an example of this that you see in the Old Testament. I believe in the New Testament, there's an example of it as well. And this was the idea that you would have uh, prostitutes specifically dedicated to these fertility cults. They would be like considered to be priestesses almost in a sense. And you would go into them and having sex with this person would encourage the gods who are watching from above to send rain on your crop. Common historical idol right there. Um, sorry, it's not a, a G-rated show today but that's that's something that we have to understand to understand some of the things that god says in scripture uh, is that these fertility cults were a common enough practice so again verses 3 through 13 could go either direction or maybe we could even take it as being both uh, both of these things are true of israel that they had committed adultery with faithlessness against the lord and they had engaged in these fertility cult practices that are are egregious sins before the Lord as well. 
Verse 4, whom are you mocking? This could be either God himself that they're mocking or the righteous in verses 1 and 2, which we then could take back to God as we talked about Jesus being the righteous man who perishes. So we know Jesus was mocked in his death. So all of those things can be in our mind as well. We also have uh, the slaughtering of children mentioned in verse 5. This is a very specific uh, reference here. One of the false gods of that era was named Molech. And part of worshiping Molech was the offering of your children. You actually killed your own children. You sacrificed them to Molech. And as, as shocking as that might seem that people would do that, it's no different today. Molech just has a different name. And that's the sexual freedom or the sexual liberty that America has come to, to worship and idolize. Over 900,000 children a year are sacrificed to this false god of lust. Since Roe v. Wade was passed back in 1973 by the Supreme Court, um, I don't even know, that's not right language, passed, since it was decided and apparently settled. 62 million children have been sacrificed to the false god of sex in America. 62 million that's a big deal, uh, something we need to repent as a society for. Our government, our, our leaders certainly need to repent and fight back against this. We need to speak against it as well. Verse 6, these idols are their lot. So instead of their portion being with God or even with the Christ, as we have seen in previous chapters, their lot is going to be with their idol, which is empty it's nothing there will be no lot to them essentially they get here have this rock that's what you get maybe what your idol was made out of too carved out of stone instead our offerings our drink offerings our grain offerings should be offered to yahweh to god um, we can talk about that as a family that can be a question who should you make an offering to or to today's language what what offerings do we make which you could talk about the tithe, uh, giving to the church for the work of God's kingdom. You could talk about Paul's words in the New Testament in the letter he wrote to Rome, uh, where he talks about how our, we are to live our lives in service to the Lord as a, a spiritual sacrifice, a spiritual offering we give of ourselves. In verse 8, instead of putting God's word on their doorposts as they were as Israel was instructed to do in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 9, they're putting their idols there, their false worship there. In verse 10, verse 10 is, I mean, just reread that. You were wearied with the length of your way, but you did not say it is hopeless. You found new life for your strength, and so you were not faint. This is always true of idolatry. When our idols prove to be empty, we just double down. I need to try harder. Uh, maybe I need to shift my focus. Maybe instead of um, exercising every day for an hour, maybe I need to exercise a half an hour every day and add in some meditation. We do this over and over and over and over and over again. Instead of admitting that the ways of our own hands are empty and turning and trusting in the Lord, we just 
figure out a new thing to try with our hands. We try another means to save ourselves. Verse 11, this is all part of not remembering me. It's all part of abandoning God, Yahweh. Have I not held my peace even for a long time? God is patient. But their ways are empty. Verse 12, he's going to declare their righteousness. And it will not profit them because there's nothing to it. There is no righteousness to the works of man. When you cry out, let your collection of idols deliver you. How bold, how strong of a statement is that in the midst of all of this? The idols cannot deliver. But, verse 13, he who takes refuge in me shall possess the land and shall inherit my holy mountain. This is Acts chapter 2, verse 39, as Peter says that this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. God will rescue his people. God will deliver those who trust in him. Verse 14, build up, build up, prepare the way. Ask your children, prepare the way. Who does that remind you of? Who was called to prepare the way for Jesus? And we're talking there about John the Baptist, perhaps. Verse 15, God is going to rescue the lowly, the contrite. There's a good connection there to Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes. In uh, verse 17, uh, his unjust gain is a reference to Israel. God was angry, hid his face, but I will heal him. So verses 17, 18, this is the the punishment of exile to Babylon, but then the restoration under Cyrus. And then lastly, with verse 21, there is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. That mirrors chapter 48, verse 22. We've seen the phrase before. So no peace for the wicked, but God redeems. God saves those who are are trusting in, in the Messiah, the servant that is to come. 